0: Well, I I don't know what uh, doing steroids is like, but I think preaching on baptism a weekend is probably (laughs) close to that. Uh, I am so pumped to be with you guys today to uh, talk about our series, better together. It's been a marriage series, and in case you're wondering, I'm single. You know, I'm here. um, You know, what is this going to do with me? Let me just tell you, there's going to be some things that translate over, okay? And I'll also say this: I've been married 25 years now, okay? And Yeah, thank you, thank you. And, and here's some of the best things that I learned was in church, okay, from those that were married and from the teacher, from the pastor, before I was even married, okay? So don't count out, okay? You should desire to be married. The Bible talks about that, okay? In fact, better together is such a good word for it. But can I go off a little bit, just a second? Ephesians 5 says this, Did you know that the best person, the number one person to disciple you in this life is your spouse? Mm -hmm. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 5. He says, just as Jesus presents us as the church before he presents his bride to the father, a perfect, blameless bride, it says he compares it to a husband and wife doing the same thing. One day you will stand before the father and the person, think about it. If you're married, who's the one that knows you the best? who knows you the closest? It's your spouse, right? Therefore, they're the ones that will help you growing to be more like Jesus. All right, all right, I'm off my, my, my soapbox there. Let's, uh, let's jump. If you got your Bibles today, we're going we're gonna to spend some time in Genesis, as our text. Uh, we're going to talk about the story of Jacob and his two wives, uh, Rachel and Leah. Everyone say, Rachel, Rachel. and Leah. Alright, I'm going to breeze through this, so I want to encourage you, you can read this in the book of Genesis, starting in uh, Genesis 29 and all the way through the book, uh, but we're going to highlight and kind of focus the story arc between uh, Rachel and Leah. So it starts in Genesis 29, verses 16 through 18. Here's what it says. Now Laban, who was the father uh, of the two, two daughters, we believe actually are twins, uh, had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Uh, when he says delicate, your translation might say weak. Uh, it doesn't mean that she was ugly, okay? It doesn't mean she had cross-eye or some kind of weird, you know, thing with her eyes. It means that she had vulnerable eyes is kind of what they're saying. It was, it was the highlight of her, of her features, okay? That, that she was uh, 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 desirable because of, of her eyes, Okay. But, it says, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance, okay? So, Rachel would be hubba hubba, (laughs) Leah would be hubba, okay? Does that make sense? So, she's already starting, you know, a leg down here, Leah is. Verse 18, Jacob was in love with Rachel. Of course he was, (laughs) hubba hubba. So, he said, let me serve you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter, And as you know, if you know the story, Laban, he works seven years and then presents, which was tradition to present the older daughter first. So it wasn't as much deception, although it was pretty deceptive. Something you'd wanna read in the clause, right? Like, oh, here's not Rachel, but Leah. And he decides to work another seven years for Rachel. So verse 30 continues the story. Jacob also went to Rachel and indeed loved Rachel more than Leah. So he served with him for yet another seven years. Verse 31, now Adonai saw that Leah was unloved. So he opened her womb, but Rachel was unable to conceive. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son and named him Reuben. Everyone say Reuben. Reuben. Because she said, for Adonai has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Everyone say love. Verse 34, then she became pregnant again and gave birth to a son and said, now this time my husband will join himself to me. Your translation might say, attach to me. Uh, uh, that because I've given birth to three sons for him. For this reason, he was named Levi. Everyone say Levi. Levi. Out of Levi, the tribe would be the ones to represent and be the priests. Verse 19, continuing on our story, then Leah became pregnant again. She's just popping out babies like popcorn, man. Just <laughs> boom, 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 right? She became pregnant again and gave birth to a sixth son for Jacob. Leah said, God has presented me a good gift. This time my husband will honor me. Everyone say honor. honor. For, I've done bo- I've, for I've born six sons for him. So she named him Zebulun. Everyone say Zebulun. Zebulun. Skipping to verse 35, the story continues. Then they traveled from Bethel. And while they were still a distance from entering Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth. She'd already had one son, Joseph. You guys all know the story of Joseph. If you watch The Prince of Egypt, you know the story of Joseph. Okay, but she's giving birth to her other son, which would later be called ben- Benjamin. It says, as she began to give birth, but her labor was difficult. Verse 19, then Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Everyone know what Bethlehem's significant for? Interesting. Verse 20, Jacob set up a memorial stone over her grave. It is the memorial stone over Rachel's grave to this day. So we know what happens to Rachel several verses later. So 14 years she's married to him, and Leah lives on, and we hear the final part of her chapter in chapter 49 of Genesis This is uh, Jacob at the end of his life giving instructions for his burial with his sons. He says, then he charged them and said to him, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, that is next to Mamre in the land of Canaan, the field that Abraham bought from Ephron the Hittite as a property for burial. And then listen to this, verse 31. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah, Jacob's grandfather and and grandma. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his father and his mother. And there I buried Leah. This is interesting. Would you pray with me? Father, as we jump into this, as we talk about uh, better together, God, would you give us some wisdom? Would the scriptures come alive in a new way, Father, that wouldn't just tickle our ears, God, but actually give us something practical that we can walk out of here as husband and wife, as those wanting and desiring to be married, God, that would help us something practical today? In your name we pray, and everyone said? Amen. Amen. I was... I was in fifth or sixth grade, I can't remember, and my class, I was in a chorus in, in grade school that sang pretty well, apparently, so well that we were invited to my, oh, the old Mile High Stadium, okay, not in Vesco or whatever we call it now, the old Mile High Stadium to sing a song, a Whitney Houston song, okay, yeah, if you know, you know, <laughs> And uh, I was chosen to sing in front of this huge crowd. I don't even remember what it was for, but it was a big, big deal. We got bussed in our whole class and I had a solo in the song. Yeah. (laughs) Not gonna brag, but just, hey. Now, this was huge for me because not only was it a confidence booster, not only was I singing a, a solo in the Whitney Houston song, But my school crush was also there, Cindy. Cindy was hubba hubba. (laughs) And so no pressure, no pressure at all. But we arrived there and you look out of the stadium and you're like, wow, like these people are are all going to be here just to hear me. And so I'm getting a little nervous. And there's something that a music teacher does to help you kind of warm up, and I'll see if you guys know this. So, uh, what would happen is she'd, she'd start out by going la 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 la. Oh. Well done, well done. <laughs> and so, me being the solo, I started out first. I went la la la. Oh. Right, and then you go the next la 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 la. Oh. About the third la la la. A funny thing happens in about fifth or sixth grade. (laughs) I won't go into detail, but let's just say uh, your voice is uh, fluctuating. (laughs) And about the third, la 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 la, okay, with the mics on at Mile High Stadium, I go la 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 la! (laughs) And Cindy's looking at me. The class is looking at me and I just melt into the seat. Have you ever had life just going good and then the reality of life just hits you? Can I get an amen? Amen. Have you ever, for those of you that are married, have you ever stood in front of your spouse on, on your wedding day with all these dreams of what, it was going, what it's going to be, right? And the, all the, you know, l- movies are reeling through there like, this is going to be so awesome. And then one day the reality of marriage hits, <laughs> right? Let's be real. I mean, can we be real? Like, don't you wish life was just static? Don't you wish marriage could just be static? Like, you say, I do, and she says, I do, and you're just like, everyone freeze. (laughs) Like, no one do anything else, because it's perfect right now. But you and I both know that's not the truth. That's not what happens, right? It's fluid. It's organic. There's ups and there's downs. There's fights. There's arguments. How do you make it? not just weather the storm in the current season, but how do you make it so that you actually build a foundation for a lifetime? Listen to this quote. James Framo, he's one of the fathers of family therapy. He wrote this in one of his books. He says, the day you turn to the person sleeping next to you and realize that you've been had, that this is not the person you fell in love with, and that this is all some dreadful mistake, that, my friends, is the first day of your real marriage. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Amen. Not next to your spouse, don't do, come on. (laughs) It's the truth though, isn't it? These things happen, right? You wake up and all of a sudden, they've changed and you've changed. That's part of life, right? And so how do we get to this place? How do we get to where you're standing saying I do, and all of a sudden, you know, life hits, and it's like, are, how do we weather this? Not only how do we weather this, but how do we make something that lasts forever, a foundation that will stand the test of time? Well, first is you've got to understand how we, how we get there. So how we get there is <clears throat> there starts with, let's see if we can do this. Yeah. There we go. There starts with a you. Everyone say you. <laughs> and there starts with a let's say a me. <laughs> He's not wearing a dress here, so just so you know. <laughs> right? There starts with the dream of there's there's your life? Right? And then there's my life. And the idea of marriage is that we come together to form us. Right? (laughs) And that sounds all good in a rom-com, doesn't it? (laughs) But there's problems with that. There's issues. And part of those issues is, well, we bring (laughs) luggage, don't we? What is, what is luggage? <laughs> you see, you weren't born and just married and learning life together, were you? You bring things into the marriage. You're bringing luggage. You're bringing past experiences, aren't you? Yep. You're bringing, I'm gonna be careful here, your parents. <laughs> right? Yep. How your family did life, and how her family did life might be different, right? We, me and my wife were talking about this today, and I'll, I'll do a quick survey. How many of you grew up and your dad changed diapers? How many of you, he didn't change diapers? Look at that, see, now there's a difference right there. Because what if you grew up in a family where dad did, and he grew up in a family where dad didn't, and all of a sudden, When you're asked to change a diaper, what, you don't love me? You don't love your kid? Am I right? We bring luggage. I love, have you seen those Geico commercials? Where it's, are you becoming more like your parents? (laughs) Right? It's the truth. We laugh because it's so true, isn't it? Like we, we do that. And what we found, psychologists have found this, that uh, th- th- typically with your mom and dad, how you were grown, how you grew up, you either model or you resist some of the elements of what you grew up with. If your dad, if you grew up and he was um, loud, if he yelled a lot, you might resist that. And you might say, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be like that in my house. So you, you resist it completely you say, I'm never gonna raise my voice. Or maybe you grew up in a, in, a, in a family where mom or dad was passive aggressive and never spoke up. And you said, you know what, I like that. Like that's, that's how I saw mom doing it. I cherish mom, that's how I'm gonna do it. Do you see how things can get messy? We bring behaviors over as well. We bring things over so you can see, like it's not just you and me and now we make us, it gets messy. At times. That's how we get there. That's how it gets to those. And, and this is where I think Leah gives us some insight. Because what's interesting is you go, if this is just the reality of marriage, how do we how do we create something that's lasting? When I look at the story of Rachel and Leah, what I find is Jacob is is obviously in love with Rachel. He has an infatuation with her. He works seven extra years for her. But what I find is at the end of the story, Rachel is buried just wherever they're at, but Leah is buried in the family plot. Leah started with a disadvantage right? I mean, her sister had the advantage. Her sister was the one that Jacob loved. And yet, at the end of the story, Leah is cherished enough that she's buried next to grandma and grandpa, mom and dad. What was it that Leah did? What was it about that marriage? What was it about that us that stood the test of time? We don't know a lot about Leah, But we do get a couple of hints of something that Leah says as she's giving birth to three of her sons that I've been meditating on and chewing on like a dog on a bone, man. And I think that God is going to reveal some things that will help us to not just weather the storm, but create a marriage of longevity. Are you ready to dig in? Here's the clues, okay? Everyone say, what I desire I become. One more time. What I desire, I become. What I desire, I become. We know this is true, right? Yes. You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've, we've heard this before. We, we know this. And so Leah, as she's giving birth, names her children certain things, and she names them with a desire yes. that she has for her husband. Yes. And what we, can, what we know is what you desire, you become. So de- Leah didn't just desire these things or just hope for them. But I think what Leah also did was as she practiced these things, as they experienced these things together, these three key ingredients, it lasted, something connected, something, something was there that allowed them to stand the test of time. Here's what she says, verse 32 29, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, named him Reuben, because she said, for Adonai has seen my affliction. Surely now my husband will love love me. She says, love me. What is it again? Love me. me. That's the first one. Then she became pregnant again and gave birth to a son and said, now this time my husband will join himself to me. Your translation might say, attach To me, Attachment. Everyone say attachment. Attachment. So what's our first one? Our second one? Attachment. Attachment. And then third, then Leah became pregnant again and gave birth to a sixth son for Jacob. And Leah said, God has presented me a good gift. This time my husband will what? Honor "Honor me. For I've borne six sons for him. She named him Zebulun. So the first one is what? Second one is What? The second one, or third one is? Honor. honor. Love, attachment, honor. I wanna dig into these things and then we're, we're gonna wrap it up and I wanna pray for all the married couples here today, a blessing over you guys. Number one, if you're taking notes, the commitment or the to commit to love. Our, our definition of love is like, we just celebrated Valentine's Day, right? And the problem when we talk about love is, we, we only have kind of one word for it, don't we? And, and a lot of times in our culture today, love is presented in, I'll just say what I see as a transactional love. Like Valentine's Day, right? Transactional is what? When you say, when you go to buy something in a store, you say, there's something of value I want. I will pay X amount of dollars and you hand it over and they give you that item, Right? for said amount of equal value. And a lot of times when we approach love or when we see love or when we talk about it, we see it in a transactional thing. And so when we come to us, right, sometimes it's easy for our mindset to see all the movies and know all the lingo and think of it in terms of, I'll bring this and you bring that. Does that make sense? The problem is, is that's a very small def- definition of love. God has a different definition of love. There's a word that he uses, it's called chesed. Everyone say chesed. chesed. Well done, you know your Hebrew. Chesed, you can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 34. God declares him, his, himself, he says, Adonai, Adonai, the Lord God who is compassionate, and gracious, and abounding in chesed, is the word he uses. Now here's the problem, when you read it, over all the translations that we have, there's about 11 different definitions for it. Yours might say love, it might say faithfulness, it might say just, it might say mercy, and you, and you read this and you go, that's weird. Are the translators all you know, like you know smoking something there when they're translating this? It's not that it's a wrong translation. It's just that we, we see the definition and we, we see love as so limited. Because the word chesed is a covenantal love. The same word when it's translated into Greek is agape. Most of you have heard that before. And it's hard to label just that because when you say it's just, when you say it's merciful, when you say it's love, you nod your head. You go, yes, that's it. When you made a covenant love, it was a lot different than a transactional love because a transactional says, I'll give you, you give me, right? But when you cut a covenant uh, in the Old Testament and you could still see this practice today, okay, over in the Middle East, is when two parties come together and they say, I will promise this and you promise that. And they call it a cutting of the covenant because they literally cut the an, an animal in half the long ways. And they place it on a side of a hill here and another side of a hill here. And the blood would drain down to almost like a gutter. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 14 where Moses actually has an encounter with God and you can see God cutting a covenant. It's a very interesting story. And what what you would do is one party would walk through the blood path and they would say, by me walking through this, whatever I'm promising to, whatever I'm making a commitment to, if I don't fulfill that, may my life be like these animals. And then the other person would do the same thing, walk through that blood path and say, if I do not fulfill this covenant, then may my fate be the same as these animals. And it wasn't, wasn't always of equal value. It wasn't always, sometimes it was kings who said, I will give my power and I promise I will cut the covenant, give you power if you give us support and taxes. Does this make sense? It's not always equal, but it's covenantal saying I commit to. It's different than transactional. When you come, you and me, and to us, if you come with the mindset of just transactional, hey, I'll do this and you do that, of course you're gonna be frustrated because you and I both know that we fall short. We don't always fulfill those things. But a chesed love says even if you fail and you fall short, I will stay committed. I will walk the path. I will make this covenant. Does this make sense? It's a different kind of thing. Now, the other part of this, see, commitment moves past this idea of just, of love, right? When you're married, you know, those first couple days, maybe, maybe it's a couple hours before reality hits, you know, then it's easy to go like, well, she's not going to fulfill it. He's not going to fulfill this. He's, he's different than I thought. When that moment happens and you wake up and you look over at that person, you go, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Has love, that commitment says, doesn't matter, I've committed, right? If you do an escape room, you know, with the idea of here's the, here's the out, right? These escape rooms are big. If you get the, the idea of, here's the door right here, of course you're gonna take the out. A commitment though is a commitment to stay no matter what. Are you tracking me? All right, the other side of this is that all of you and me have a love tank. Everyone said love tank. Love tank. And how you give love and how you receive love, how your tank is filled is based on what you receive, how love is given to you. Does that make sense? Um, Now, if you're just going, receiving love through just whatever friends, family, and just your spouse, your love tank's gonna be pretty low, even on the best of days. This is why, and if you go back and listen to the message, Pastor John talks about the importance of, of having the one, right? Of having a relationship with God because you have someone in perfect love, a said love, agape love, that is also filling your tank. And you need that, especially if you're to fill someone else's tank. But how you give into someone else's love tank and how you receive those love tanks, uh, love into your love tank, all differs, doesn't it? Yep. If I told you today, Larry, I wanna give you $100, you would probably go what? Yeah. Hey, yeah, all right." You'd probably be excited. Most of you would be excited. Yeah, I'll, I'll take $100. Now, what would your reaction be, though, if I, if I carried out you know, a thousand pennies and just laid it down, right? That'd be like, whoa, okay, I wasn't envisioning that, probably, right? Maybe you were envisioning a $100 bill or a couple 20s, you know, but if I wrote a check, if I brought you pesos, Bitcoin, right? You'd be like, well, okay, well, that's not what I expected in $100. It's still $100, I get it, but it's not what I expected. It goes the same with our love tank. Does this make sense? Listen, when you come and you say, I wanna give you love, and you're speaking a language that they don't understand, they're tuned to a different radio station, then they may not hear I love you they may in fact hear the opposite, I don't love you. And you likewise. This is why it's so important that we understand each other's love languages. And I don't have time to dive into this. Gary Chapman has an incredible book called The Five Love Languages. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. It's based on these five love languages. I'll show them up on the screen. Words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, giving gifts, acts of service, doing the dishes, cleaning up around the house, yada, yada, physical touch. Now, you can read the book and explore all of these and, and you know, find out, you may be sitting here going like, I wonder what your love language is. I wonder what yours is. Here's a quick, easy thing that can help you. Look at this list right now and decide, and, and I bet you as soon as I put these up, <laughs> you knew what the number one thing, if I told you that they did, your partner, your spouse, did this one thing for the rest of your life, you would say, yeah, I would feel absolutely adored and loved. That's your number one. Husbands, wives, you need to learn the primary love language. You need to value this and you need to never abuse it. Does this make sense? This is, is I think part of what Leah is, is tapping into, a chesed love and a love that's able to not just move past or just stay in emotions, but to deposit love, to receive love. Because we all need that. We all need that. God did it with us. Do you, you remember the story Moses tells God? He's like, uh, God, show your face to me. And God's like, I can't do it. I'll melt your face off. (laughs) He's like, no, it'll be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, you don't, it won't be pretty, right? It's not good. But, But does God just leave it? No, no. Later on, we read that God actually stepped down from heaven and became human flesh, Jesus. He actually became a presentable form of it. It was a love language, a way that we could understand and actually be face to face with God. And it works the same in our marriages. Works the same in any relationship, to be honest. When you understand how someone receives love, then you can fill up that love tank because you're committed that has said love. All right, so number one is what? Love. Number two is, you remember? attachment. You need to fight for attachment. Genesis chapter one, verse 26, the creation story says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. How many of you heard that verse before? All of us. Here's the question. Who's our? The Trinity, right? Let's make man. So he's saying, let's let's make a copy of this, but let's make him not in mine, the Father God's image. He says, in our image. I've struggled for years with defining. I remember being young. Someone going, well, the Trinity is God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. They're the three in one. I'm like, what? How does that work? Like, and they try and give answers like, well, it's like water is ice, and water can be steam. And you're like, it still doesn't help me. I just, says, how do you understand that? Because it is, it's kind of hard to grasp. And yet this is the model in relationship that God gives us. He says, let us make, make man in our image. It is, in Paul's words, a great mystery. Check this out. Ephesians chapter five, verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh this is the mystery, this mystery is great. But I'm talking about Messiah and his community. He says, this mystery is great. Now remember, in this chapter he's talking, he's relating the, the relationship of Jesus and the church to a husband and wife. And he's saying, this idea of the two shall become one, the you and the me becoming us, he says, it's a great mystery. It's hard to understand. Try to figure out the Trinity. It's hard to wrap your mind around. How can three be one and individual? I don't know. How can two become one? How can you cleave? How does that work? I don't know. And Paul says, it's the great mystery. But there's something about this cleaving. There's something, it's like taking two pieces of tape and putting them together. How many of you know if you did that? Have you ever tried to pull two pieces of tape apart? It's a nightmare, right? Christmas time, you're like, just give me a new piece. Just give me a new piece. Because it's two adhesive pieces coming together into one. And when you pull those apart, when you separate those, because this is the problem. When we talk about attachment, when you say on the altar, I do, and she says, I do, you're now committing to us. It's no longer you, it's no longer me. The word is cleaving, it's a glue, it's an attachment. And the more you separate, the more me and you go back to you and me, the more we pull at that attachment. Does this make sense? It's a great mystery how it works. But when you do pull it apart, have you ever tried to, you pulled, tape apart and then put it back together again does it glue as as well if you pull it apart and you go your way and she goes her way have you ever had tape just sitting out for a while collecting some dust and and hair and dog hair and then put it together doesn't work as good does it in fact if you leave glue just sitting out it becomes hard church are you with me we're called to cleave we're called to be attached to each other the problem is, is sometimes we bring luggage and our tendency is to go back to you and to me. And if you look at most fights in our marriages, that's what it is. It's us going back to just me and my life and my problems and my issues. Or you going into your issues and your behaviors. But we're called to come together. We're called to attach I call it the me monster everyone say the me monster monster. right Everything, everything about us is about connecting you say well I'm not I don't feel that right now about my spouse you did you did no one held a gun to your head on that wedding day and said you must connect and attach with this person no you wanted to you desired to there's something about coming together, an attachment there. That most people, most of the times, we get so focused on the me monster, on, on our issues, on how it offended us, or how we heard this, and it's not our love language, that it creates this monster of ourselves. Good. And what it's doing is it's pulling apart us. And we need to start thinking more relationally. We need to start thinking about connecting again. Does this make sense? Yeah. Terrence Reel says this in his book, Uh, Us. It's a great book. um, When talking about uh, marriages that are trying to deal with the problems, the me monsters, he says, the problem is that their model of resolution is to come to agreement, to figure out the one correct answer, to be on the same page together. Sounds great, right? It's a common and deep understandable wish. Unfortunately, for most partners, the one right version of the story is, well, mine. (laughs) And my stubborn partner thinks the same of theirs. The paradox is that resolutions come only by giving up that dream and taking in that you and your partner are not in fact going to see all things the same way because now it's about us. It's not about you. It's not, but I wanna be right. You can be right or you can be married. Hello? (laughs) <laughs> but it's not fair. Oh, I, yeah. can I give you some advice I give my, give my kids? They know this from heart, from, by heart right now. Is when they were little babies, anytime they said, it's not fair, I'd say one thing back. Fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Did. You can, you can have fair or you can be married because a lot of times when you look at the arguments that we get into, it comes back to just, it's not about us connecting. It's not about the connection anymore. Some of the best things we can do when we're fighting and we get into our me monsters is to stop and go, okay, how did we lose connection here? Does this make sense? How can we work together as a team to get back to us? Well, you said this, and I understood it as this, okay? Mm -hmm. One last problem. I call it the mega me monster. What is the mega me monster? When you marry, we bring our stuff in, right? Our luggages. Some of those are not always the best qualities, right? Some of us bring in qualities that the other person might go, "Mm, that drives me crazy. And here's what we do typically is we create mega monsters about that. We see their monster, and we build this huge kind of mega monster around this idea. Well, you're always late to everything. (laughs) Mega monster. You know, your mother is blah, blah, blah. It's always blah, blah, blah. Is it always? And so we create these mega monsters about our spouse, And we use them when it's go time. (laughs) Hello? I mean, come on. Can we be real? No, we don't ever fight. (laughs) Come on. We do this. We create these mega monsters. Now, here's the thing. I want to help you. One word that will help you with this. Do you want to know? Because when when we put a mega monster, when we build that about something in our spouse, there's actually a little nugget of truth usually packed in there. But the way we use it, man, we're, we're, we're clubbing, like we're fighting. If you wanna learn how to do this, because what's what happens if he brings up your mega monster and then you bring up his mega monster, what happens? Your reaction is, we going at it. <laughs> and I'll bring up something from 20 years ago, right? Here's this mega monster. Well, one word I want to teach you. Yield. Yield. Like I said, there's usually a nugget of truth in there. And instead of cocking back and getting ready to swing, yield. Listen. What is the truth in there? What can I learn? Remember, I said the best person that can disciple you is your spouse. Why? They know you intimately. They know you're good, you're bad, your habits, your behaviors, what you brought in, what you're dealing with. So there may be a nugget of truth in there. Yield, listen, talk about it. Does that that help? Don't Don't go back to you and me. That's not healthy. It's about attachment. All right, so we've got first one, second one, third one, what? Honor. Honor. So we do this. We fight for attachment. We commit to love. But third, in the tone, we do all of this in honor. Listen to this Trump, our tone trumps content. Trump tones content. As a husband and wife, we deal with things. Like I said, we're discipling each other. We're, we're in each other's life, okay? How you approach something, the tone that you come in is always more important than the content itself. When I looked at this, man, I was, I've been wrestling with this for a while now. What is this, this idea of honor? Because there's two kind of sets of honor. There's the honor that the world kind of defines, which we say is to... To lift someone up, to highlight them, to give them honor, right? To give them accolades, right? Like this is kind of how we see. But godly honor is a little different, and the more you dig into the scriptures, you realize how different it is and how it can actually help us in our marriage. Uh, Proverbs fifteen thirteen describes this godly honor. It says this in verse thirty three. Is sorry, the fear of Adonai. Of God is the discipline of wisdom. Listen to this. And humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. Humility and honor work hand in hand when it comes to godly honor. It's a game of spaces. Think about this. Honor, as the world defines it, says, I will lift you up. I will highlight you. Humility with honor does something else. says, "I will lift you up and I will honor you at the same time I will be humble and come low." It's not a broken spirit, OK? It's not a low self-esteem. There's a difference. Do you hear me? It's a humbleness. In the end of the story, in Revelations, you see it says that the elders cast their crowns before the thrones. What is that? They're creating space. They're saying we lay down, we step down, we serve, we humble ourselves, and we exalt you at the same time. This is godly honor. It's about creating space, spaces, if you will, does this make sense? How do we do this? Because this, this is kind of weird. Ephesians chapter five, reference this. It. Such a good chapter, Paul talks about marriage. He describes it this way, verse 21. Also, submit yourselves to one another. This is talking to couples. Out of reverence for Messiah. Wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Messiah also is head of his community himself the savior of the body. But as Messiah's community is submitted to Messiah, so also the wives to their husbands in everything. Then he continues on to husbands. Husbands, love your wives, not just love them, but love them how? Just as Messiah also loved his community and gave himself up for her to make her holy, having cleansed her by the immersion in the word. Messiah did this so that he might present to himself his glorious community, not having stain or wrinkle or any such thing, but in order that she might be holy and blameless. So get this. It's this picture of of serving he says to husbands, he says, you're to lead, but, but you're not to lead in the way the world sees it. You're to lead as Jesus did. Yeah. All right? And wives, submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. So there's not just us anymore. There's, there's a third person in the equation, right? Yeah. It's Jesus. Yeah. And he is the lead. Right, He's the lead caboose. He's he's driving the train here while we submit to him and then we submit to each other. Husbands have this high calling of submitting as just as Jesus did. And how did Jesus serve? Gave his life. This rocked my world, man. A couple years ago, I heard this, was reading it, And it was as if Jesus says, as the husband, you're to be the chief servant. The chief servant. You want to show honor? Create separation. Create distance here. Serve her. If it comes between on vacation, I want to go to Mexico and she wants to go to Paris As the chief servant, we're going to Paris. (laughs) If if money's tight and there's only so much money to buy that dress that she's been wanting or that uh, cool stereo that I've been eyeing, what does the chief servant do? We're buying a dress. Does this make sense? It's the chief, you're the chief servant. It's about creating spaces there. If you want to honor them, get low. Get low. Some of you, can I give you some advice? Literally do this. Literally, next time you you're duking it out, if you're the strong dominant one, I want to encourage you, get lower. <laughs> it changes your perspective. <laughs> Have you ever argued with someone from down here? <laughs> It's a different perspective, man. You feel like how, yeah. (laughs) It changes things. This is about honor, right? It's being the chief servant, it's creating those spaces. Honor your spouse, learn this practice. All right, first thing we learn is what? Love, Love. second thing, third thing. L-A-H, love, attachment, honor, L-A-H. La, 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 la. Here's the cool thing about that story is my voice cracked, I melted, I was so embarrassed, but the good thing was it was practice. It seemed like there were 2 million people there, but there was just a couple, And when the time came for me to actually sing it, I nailed it. Why? Why? Because I practiced my laws. If you practice your laws, love, attachment, honor, not only do I think will you weather the storm, but I think you'll build a foundation that will last forever. Learn to commit to love. Learn to fight for attachment. And to do it all in the tone of honor. Can I do one last thing with you? If you're married here, whether your spouse is here or not, would you stand? I want to pray a special prayer blessing over all the married couples. Would you look at your spouse? I know, this is corny, it's so cheesy, I know. Would you, would you do this for me, though? Go ahead and look face to face with your spouse. If you don't have your spouse with you, just close your eyes. Imagine they're right in front of you. One day you're gonna stand before the Father. And the person that you're standing with, hopefully you won't say, well, whew, we made it. (laughs) Hopefully you say, they made me a better person. They made me a better Christ follower. Because of them and you putting them in my life, I'm I'm here. So Lord, I want to pray one special blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you as you practice love, attachment, all in the tone of honor, may you find the longevity that God has for your marriage so much that it transcends just your marriage, but to your kids' marriage and their kids' marriage. May you find it more than just emotion. May you find the commitment there when you need it and may it model it not just to your kids, but to the world that so desperately needs to know this. May it model Jesus Christ in a world that is so dark and needs a light. Bless them, Father, in everything they do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. 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 Love you guys. Thank you.